Hi, I'm Philip Anthony Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. And this is episode 155. What was that music, you ask? No, it's not another one of my demo tunes. Remember last week how I mentioned I had a friend who's a broadcaster and a voiceover personality? I didn't name her because I want to respect her privacy, her being a public figure and all, and not certain if she wants to be associated with an atheist podcast. Because unfortunately, it still seems that people who openly identify as atheists tend to get stigmatized. Yeah, I know fundamentalist religious types are always complaining how we're living in some godless, secular, Sodom and Gomorrah-esque society. But be that as it may, many people still seem to have a very negative or a visceral reaction to atheism. My favorite litmus test is, ask yourself, can you imagine a self-proclaimed atheist getting elected president anytime soon, or elected to any public office for that matter. There have been some exceptions, but not too many that I'm aware of, in this country at least. And as I'm sure you can tell from my accent, I'm in the U.S., the Northeast to be exact. I'm doing my best to round off my R's. But my friend actually gave me permission to mention her name. I still feel weird about it, but her son, Heath, um, well, how many DJs are there with a son named Heath? We're narrowing it down, people. So anyway, my friend's name is Shelby, and she's always been musically gifted, and her son is a very talented musician as well. And that was his music. Uh, But her and her son are very proudly open about their atheistic views, and I really appreciate them letting me use Heath's music. The name of Heath's musical project is Divinitis, and I love that. Sounds like a disease that turns you into a god. I wish I had Divinitis. If you want to check out more of Heath's stuff uh, and look for upcoming show dates in the Boston area, please go to Divinitis, that's D-I-V-I-N-I-T-U-S, divinitis.bandcamp.com slash releases. Actually, I don't think you need the releases. Uh, You can just go to divinitis.bandcamp.com, I believe. And Divinitis also has a Facebook page, and you can get some more info there. And please give the page a like while you're there. And give the Weekend Out page a like, too, please. Uh, Okay, and I don't know if I'm allowed to get into the details, but I believe Heath may have something in the works where he might be opening for a fairly big-named act. Uh, But very cool. And it's good to know that I now have a real source for music instead of just relying on cheesy garage band loops. But anyway, on with the show. Actually, a quick shout out to Dino Doyle for liking the Weekend Out Facebook page. See, he did it. All right, you can do it too. (laughs) It just helps to spread the uh, word about the show. And like I said before, it strokes my ego too. And it lets me know that people are actually listening. So thank you, Dino. I appreciate it. So originally, I planned on talking about Ouija boards. I was going to do a kind of mini audio doc, skeptoid-esque kind of thing, where I went into the history or origins of Ouija boards, and then proceed to debunk the phenomenon. But then I came across a very interesting clip. It's from Al Jazeera America, ironically. Uh, I believe it was just a couple of episodes ago where I criticized them for their policy of refusing to use the word terrorist. But I thought they did some great work in this instance. Former MSNBC anchor David Schuster, now working for Al Jazeera, obviously, 
interviewed Kathy Adams, the former chair of the Texas Republican Party. Now, as you're probably aware, the Supreme Court just voted to legalize same-sex marriage in all 50 states, and many right-wingers aren't too happy about it. And Kathy Adams is no exception. But she has some interesting things to say about gay marriage and homosexuality in general, so I'll play the clip now. Kathy, if the United States Supreme Court declares that homosexual marriage is legal, that there isn't something abhorrent about it, and that they can get the same benefits, the same rights as every other American. If the United States Supreme Court says it is legal, will you abide by what the United States Supreme Court says? Do you think that a man's body is meant for penetration by another man, or is a man's body meant well, that, that wasn't, to be that wasn't the question in I asked you. union I was just with a woman you... whose body is built for that behavior? I think that God made us in a way that heterosexual behavior is healthy and normal and natural. I think homosexual behavior is unnatural and unhealthy. I'll give you another chance. Do you think if the United States Supreme Court says it's legal, will you follow what the United States Supreme Court says? I am not going to throw away the scriptures and millennia of history in order to accept the judicial fiat of a few judges. Okay, a I'll take that. We'll, we'll take that then as a, we'll, we'll take that as a, as a no from the former chairman of the Texas Republican. Well, offensive, but kind of what you might expect, right? And I wanted to point out that there was a part of the clip that's missing. It's from the very beginning of the interview where they talk about homosexuality in the Bible. And David Schuster says, well, it also says you should be stoned for working on the Sabbath. And Adams replies, well, you're taking that out of context. Well, I thought I'd read Exodus 31, 14. And to make sure I'm keeping things in context, I'll also read the verses that come immediately before and after as well. So I'll start with Exodus 31, 13. Say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is to be the day of Sabbath rest. Holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. And so that was 31, 13 through uh, 15, I believe. And I think that comes from the New International Version, but it's not that far off from uh, other versions. The King James Version says basically the same thing, but with some doths, etc. <laughs> Old-timey English in there. Um, so it seems pretty clear-cut to me. And I think this is another example of Christian hypocrisy or of bigoted Christians trying to have their cake and eat it too. Working on the Sabbath, wearing mixed fabrics, eating shellfish, marking your skin with tattoos, all of that's all right. We're New Testament people. But the stuff condemning gays, that stuff will keep. But back to what was said in the portion of the clip that I just played. Obviously, the most striking part of the exchange is where she asked David Schuster if he thinks a man's body was meant to be penetrated. Well, I don't want to pull a Bill Clinton, uh, what the meaning of is is kind of thing, but what you mean by quote-unquote meant. Are we evolutionarily designed to reproduce, to perpetuate the species through heterosexual sex? Insert tab A into slot B and all that? Well, yes, of course, but that doesn't mean that homosexual sex or sex purely for enjoyment rather than for reproductive purposes is sinful or an abomination. I'm of the school of thought that homosexuality is most likely 
biological or genetic. There may be some cultural factors, but like I've said in the past, I can't imagine anyone choosing to be gay. I always joke how I knew from a very young age that I was straight, and that biological directive, that human sex drive, it's so strong I can't imagine saying, wow, I'm really attracted to girls, but I guess I'll choose to be gay for shits and giggles. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it works that way, and if homosexuality occurs in nature, not only in humans, but in a vast number of other animal species as well, how can it, in a sense, technically be unnatural? Why is your God making gay people and gay animals, Kathy? <laughs> and let's say for the sake of argument that it was a matter of choice. So what? If two consenting adults of the same sex choose to love each other and live together, so what? Or even if they want to get married to enjoy the same spousal benefits straight people do, so what? And of course, near the end, she mentions the scriptures. Oh, your man-made holy book assembled over time, chock full of contradictions. That's what you fall back on when trying to deny people equality. Well, no use getting hot under the collar. The matter's been decided for the five in favor of legalizing gay marriage for the entire country. Well, I still have some time left. Maybe I will talk about Ouija boards. Did anyone else grow up saying Ouija board? Ouija's a funny word. I like that better. I guess I'll start with a personal anecdote. So you regular listeners will already know that although I'm a non-believer, I was raised Catholic. And my parents used to warn us that we shouldn't mess with things like tarot cards and Ouija boards, etc. I think I already shared this anecdote during my interview with Anonymous Steve, a UK dad caught up in a controversial court case where he was ordered by a judge to bring his children to church. But a lot of you may not have heard this story, and uh, it's on topic, so I'll tell it again. And this sounds like quite a build-up. It's actually not that exciting a story, but I'll tell it anyway. So when I was really young, maybe late elementary school, early middle school age, I had a Sunday school teacher who scared the crap out of us with a Ouija board story. At the time, she seemed like an authoritative grown-up, but looking back, she may have been relatively young herself, uh, maybe in between her early or mid-20s to her early 30s at the most. She told us, a classroom of little kids, how she and some friends had been playing with a Ouija board around the holidays, and supposedly the board became demonically possessed, flew around the room on its own volition, ultimately flying into a Christmas tree, sending it crashing to the ground. Maybe it was possessed by a Christian spirit and didn't like the tree because of its pagan origins. Uh, but anyway, it's hard to explain, but I think I was both incredulous and scared, uh, crapless, shall we say, at the same time. My little budding skeptic radar was going off, but at the same time, I was just a little kid, and a grown-up just told us this terrifying story about a demon-possessed Ouija board. On a related note, I've been saving a Pat Robertson clip for this occasion. A listener wrote into his show asking if her son's mental illness could have been caused by playing with a Ouija board. I'll play the clip for you now. All righty. Well, Joyce says, Dear Pat, many years ago when I was a young mother, I bought a Ouija board. At the time, I didn't know any better. I thought it was just a fun game. When I learned that it is evil, I got rid of it. Now my son has grown and full of hatred and mental issues. I have been through so much heartache because of his mental condition. I've prayed and prayed for his healing, but no change so far. Do you think God is punishing me for exposing my son to demons when he was young? Uh, I don't know if God's punishing you, but you can't open the door to demons. And demons, you know, uh, there was one uh, lady I heard about who uh, was demon-possessed, and the demon was being cast out, and the demon said, I had permission. Mm. 
and permission was that this particular person had gone to a X-rated movie and uh, had you know gotten all of these sex things and and uh, the demons that I had permission. Uh, so you gave the demons permission to come into your home when you had a Ouija board. Uh, look, mental illness has many forms. I don't know what's wrong with your son. I mean, it may be neurological. It may be something psychological. Uh, he may need professional help, but at the same time, he may need to get delivered. And I, I don't know him, but there are all those things you need to take into consideration and then do, but he needs an intervention. Get something to help him. But right. even if she opened the door, she can repent, ask for forgiveness. Absolutely. And then that close the door and the send door. the demon away. But mm -hmm. you have to come and say, hey, Lord, I, I repent. And that demon, you do not have permission anymore. I take away that permission, and I cast you forth from my son. You need to speak those words. That somber music at the end there, uh, that isn't me. That's from Right Wing Watch. That's where I got the uh, clip from. Uh, so I don't know where to begin. The thing that jumped out at me was Pat's story about a woman becoming demon-possessed from watching an X-rated movie. If everyone who watched porn, especially in the age of the internet, was in danger of becoming demonically possessed, there'd be a whole lot of people levitating and spewing pea soup, and I'd probably be one of them. Kidding. Kinda. But I'm torn by uh, Pat Robertson's approach. On the one hand, he was being rather rational, clarifying that our son's mental slash emotional issues may just be neurological, as he put it. And he even urges the woman to make sure he gets help. But then, of course, he falls back on superstition and an actual literal belief in demonic possession. But I found even those little hints of reason and clarity refreshing. As far as uh, that woman's kid goes, yeah, definitely get him some help. Instead of pinning the blame on some piece of cardboard or whatever, put aside the superstitious BS and talk to him. Find out what he's angry about. Try to get him some professional help. And not an exorcist. I mean, a therapist or neurologist or something. And it's funny, I was just reminded of another anecdote. I was in my late teens, probably, and a bunch of us were hanging out over a friend's house, and there were a couple of girls playing with a Ouija board, and they were all excited because they thought they had contacted the devil. But I think the planchette steered by the girls had spelled out Satin, not Satan, and I said something to the effect do you really expect to contact the devil through something made on an assembly line by Milton Bradley or Parker Brothers, whatever? And I said, if Satan does exist, shouldn't he know how to spell his own name? But of course, Satan is simply Hebrew for accuser or adversary, and I shall resist the temptation to go off on a lengthy digression on the history or evolution of the devil, although I may do that soon. Friend of the show, Crocoduck, and I have been talking about that very thing, uh, recently on Twitter. Well, maybe now I'll give you a brief history of the Ouija board, and you guessed it, I'm gonna turn to Wikipedia. Hey, don't judge me. I work full-time and don't have a surplus of time to do uh, a lot of research. Plus, believe it or not, I usually find Wikipedia to be very reliable. Anyway, here we go. And before I start reading, because I don't know if it mentions this, I think that, as you probably already know, the word Ouija is basically just the German and French words for yes joined together. And I did a quick look at a couple of online dictionaries, 
And I think they're saying pretty much the correct pronunciation is Ouija, but Ouija has become so popular and commonplace that it's acceptable as well. And Ouija is funnier. But uh, anyway, so here we go. The Ouija, also known as spirit board or talking board, is a flat board marked with the letters of the alphabet, the numbers 0 through 9, the words yes, no, hello, occasionally, and goodbye, along with various symbols and graphics. It uses a planchette, small heart-shaped piece of wood or plastic, as a movable indicator to indicate a spirit's message by spelling it out on the board during a seance. Participants place their fingers on the planchette and it is moved about the board to spell out words. Ouija has become a trademark that is often used generically to refer to any talking board. In 1886, Associated Press reported on a new phenomenon that was being widely used in spiritualist camps in Ohio, the talking board, which was very similar to a modern Ouija board and was seen as a faster method for communicating with spirits of the deceased. Following its commercial introduction by businessman Elijah Bond on July 1, 1890, the Ouija board was regarded as an innocent parlor game unrelated to the occult until American spiritualist Pearl Curran popularized its use as a divining tool during World War I. Paranormal and supernatural beliefs associated with the Ouija have been harshly criticized by the scientific community since they are characterized as pseudoscience. The action of the board can be parsimoniously explained by unconscious movements of those controlling the pointer, a psychophysiological phenomenon known as the idiomotor effect. Some mainstream Christian denominations have warned against using Ouija boards, holding that they can lead to demonic possession. Occultists, on the other hand, are divided on the issue, with some saying that it can be a positive transformation. Others reiterate the warnings of many Christians and caution inexperienced users against it. And I'll probably skip this next paragraph. It just discusses some parallels that go all the way back to ancient China. And I think what's referring to is more um, like an automatic writing technique for talking the spirits, supposedly spirits talking through you and you write it down, rather than using uh, what we would think of as a modern uh, Ouija board. That goes into talking boards. Spiritualism, the belief that the dead are able to communicate with the living, was in vogue during the 19th century and people desired a better method of communicating with spirits than the ones in existence. And to fill that need, talking boards were created. By 1886, the practice had become so common to the point of being reported in the news as a phenomenon that was taking over the spiritualist camp in Ohio. And that's a bit redundant. And then it talks about its history as a commercial parlor game. And once again, it discusses Elijah Bond. Yeah, it says he filed for a patent or a patentees, it says, on May 20th, 1890. The patent date was issued on 1891. Who cares? <laughs> they received U.S. patent number 446,054. Bond was an attorney and was an inventor of other objects in addition to this device. An employee of Elijah Bond, William Fold, took over the talking board production in 1901. He started production of his own boards under the name Ouija. Charles Kennard, founder of Kennard Novelty Company, which manufactured Fold's talking boards and where Fold had worked as a varnisher, claimed he learned the name Ouija from using the board and that it was an ancient Egyptian word meaning good luck. When Fold took over production of the boards, he popularized the more widely accepted etymology that the name came from a combination of the French and German words for yes. The Fold name had become synonymous with Ouija boards as Fold reinvented its history, claiming that he himself had invented it. 
that discusses how boards from competitors flooded the market. And uh, these boards enjoyed a heyday from the 1920s through the 1960s. Fold sued many companies over the Ouija name and concept right up until his death in 1927. In 1966, Fold's estate sold the entire business to Parker Brothers, which was sold to Hasbro in 1991 and which continues to hold all trademarks and patents. About 10 brands of talking boards are sold today under various names. Finally, something uh, useful, uh, scientific investigation. The Ouija phenomenon is considered by the scientific community to be the result of the idiomotor response. Various studies have been produced recreating the effects of the Ouija board in the lab and showing that, under laboratory conditions, the subjects were moving the planchette involuntarily. Skeptics have described Ouija board users as operators. Some critics noted the messages ostensibly spelled out by spirits were similar to whatever was going through the minds of the subjects. According to professor of neurology Terence Hines in his book Pseudoscience and the Paranormal, the planchette is guided by unconscious muscular exertions like those responsible for table movement. Nonetheless, in both cases, the illusion of the object, table or planchette, is moving under its own control is often extremely powerful and sufficient to convince many people that spirits are truly at work. The unconscious muscle movements responsible for the moving tables and Ouija board phenomena seen at seances are examples of a class of phenomena due to what psychologists call a dissociative state. A dissociative state is one in which consciousness is somehow divided or cut off from some aspects of the individual's normal cognitive motor or sensory functions. In the 1970s, Ouija board users were also described as cult members by sociologists, though this was severely scrutinized in the field. The National Geographic show Brain Games ran an episode that clearly showed the board did not work when all participants were blindfolded. Ouija boards have been criticized in the press since their inception, having been variously described as vestigial remains of primitive belief systems and a con to part fools from their money. Some journalists have described reports of Ouija board findings as half-truths and have suggested that their inclusion in national newspapers lowers the national discourse overall. And here's an interesting and sometimes lurid little paragraph on uh, religious responses to uh, the Ouija board phenomenon. Most religious criticism of the Ouija board has come from Christian right organizations, primarily Roman Catholics and evangelicals in the United States. Catholic Answers, a Christian apologetics organization, states that the Ouija board is far from harmless, as it is a form of divination, seeking information from supernatural sources. The fact of the matter is the Ouija board really does work, and the only spirits that will be contacted through it are evil ones. In 2001, Ouija boards were burned in Alamogordo, New Mexico by fundamentalist groups alongside Harry Potter books as symbols of witchcraft. Religious criticism has also expressed beliefs that the Ouija board reveals information which should only be in God's hands, and thus it is a tool of Satan. A spokesperson for Human Life International almost reminds me of a Seinfeld when George Costanza starts the Human Fund. But anyway, described the boards as a portal to talk to spirits and called for Hasbro to be prohibited from marketing them. I'm just imagining like uh, uh, on an assembly line, a spirit being pressed into each board. Uh, bishops in Micronesia called for the boards to be banned and warned congregations that they were talking to demons and devils when using the boards. Well, I don't think I need to... Uh, debunk any of the superstitious claims made in that last paragraph we've already kind of 
taking care of that. Uh, well, that's probably more than you ever want to know about Ouija boards. But it's funny, uh, I've mentioned a number of times that the Exorcist basically scarred me for life. Uh, <laughs> um, that I saw it when I was really young, and I this is so embarrassing. Even though I've been a non-believer for a long time, I was still plagued by exorcist nightmares probably up until the time I was like 27 or something like that. But I remember in The Exorcist, Linda Blair's character channels a spirit that possesses her through using a Ouija board. I think in the movie, the spirit, she refers to the spirit as Captain Howdy, but it's insinuated that the spirit is actually an ancient Mesopotamian demon, Pazuzu, uh, but it's also kind of insinuated that the spirit is actually the devil. I don't know. Uh, you'd probably have to ask William Peter Blatty, the uh, author of the, the book uh, the movie was based on. But anyway, I guess with that being said, I'll call this episode a wrap. You guys know the drill. You can like the show on Facebook. Please do. You can rate the show or subscribe to it uh, via iTunes. If you do leave a review for the show on iTunes... Please let me know through Facebook or Twitter so I can be sure to give you a shout out and read that review on the air. Uh, you can also go to Podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N. That's where I host my feed. And that's where you can find all the archives going all the way back to episode one. And if you like what I do and you want to help the show out monetarily, uh, you can donate as little as 99 cents using the PayPal widget on the official Weekend Out Podbean page. There's that alliteration again. And you can also become a patron through Patreon. And uh, you can donate as little as $1 a month to the show. And I have kind of like a premium account, I guess you would call it, with Podbean, where it gives me enough storage to host all the archives. It also allows me to sell things if I want from uh, Podbean. So it costs me about $19.95 a month to host the show. So any money that you guys contribute helps me at, at the least uh, take care of the monthly cost of, of hosting the feed. So any help is greatly appreciated and more than welcome. Uh, let's see, anything else? Yeah, the show's also available on Stitcher. And of course, there's the Weekend Out YouTube channel. I haven't put my mug up on there yet, but there are some video versions of many of the episodes. Basically just the audio you may have already heard with some uh, basic graphics added in for some uh, additional eye candy. And I also have things up on there like little clips of uh, atheist versus theist debates and things like that. So if you want to check that out, you can do that. And I think that's it. I think that takes care of all the uh, shameless plugs. And I'm going to leave you with the Divinitis song, Barbara D. Lane, in its entirety. I think it kicks ass, so... Enjoy, and until next week, thanks for listening.